Hi, Kevin Horgan here, Our Culture in Coate. This is on the first track about our unformed American culture, uh, episode number 21, as opposed to our second track on the same ACORN platform, which is about uh, business advice for uh, those in middle management. Uh, so here I want to talk today, the, well, the, the golden grist for my podcast mill today is, is a lecture by a Dr. Thomas Woods, an economist and author of the Mises Institute, a PhD from Columbia. And this talk uh, he gave about a month ago, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is give you a synopsis of it because I think it's important. I promise it's not a redundant lecture, um, and the data belongs to Dr. Woods, and those are his sources, and those can be found on his website. All you have to do is Google Thomas Woods, Mises, M-I-S-E-S Institute, and everything jumps up. He's a famous person in the space. If we remember about the lockdown, which is the talk that I give today, there was a rationale for the measures taken back in March, and it was to, quote, flatten the curve. Remember the good old days. Well, that morphed into a lockdown. Uh, I recall Andrew Cuomo saying, if we only save one life, now this was coming from the man who owns the worst record on reaction to the virus. He made a policy decision based on advice given to him with a disastrous result that everyone knows about. Uh, Remember all the diseased who flooded the Central Park Hospital, the Javits Center, and that Navy ship that was sent to assist? No, they weren't. They were all shut down. Um, The known cases of coronavirus, the COVID, were moved into nursing homes, and we know the rest of that story. Now, his decision, and he says it's not his fault, but if... If I disagree with a one life is worth it rationale, I am a killer. And I can't have an honorable fact-driven disagreement on anything or else I'm evil. So at issue here is empirical versus anecdotal evidence. Empirical is data-driven. Anecdotal is the emotional and the personal. Empirical evidence should drive policy decisions. Anecdotal evidence The personal story drives emotions, which drives politics, which grabs the bullhorn and then throws the rock, and we all know what happens. Now, we don't live our lives according to saving one life. We don't stop everything for one life. Death is a part of life. We don't ban things generally risky, like skydiving or riding a motorcycle or a hundred other activities that a lot of people enjoy. We use due care, training, and good judgment. The lockdown itself is is somewhat of an irrational diversion of resources. Sure, use masks, social distance, wash hands, avoid crowds. We can do all that and still function. Face it, no pun intended. But aside from plenty of empirical evidence that masks do mitigate to a certain degree, I only wear one because it makes you feel better, not me. Remember the Japan model. They masked without social distance and did not close down Japan. And they have a much more dense society than the United States. Now their numbers are the same as ours now, even though initially Japan was condemned and there was no explosions of deaths there. Then we use the Swedish model. 
um, which is the kind of socialist capitalist state the left used to love, now they don't, um, has a population of about 10 million. They did not lock down. And nursing homes were their highest deaths, just like the U.S. And the data? Well, under age 50, you ready? There were 70 deaths. 70. That's sad, but the model said everybody would be dead in the street, like uh, Monty Python's sketch. A total of 4,000 deaths by the beginning of August in Sweden. Sweden kept sending kids to school. Sweden had no difference in health outcomes compared to Finland, which locked the whole place up. Both nations do have generational living conditions pervasive throughout those societies. Three or four generations living under the same roof. Lockdown experts, which are mostly politicians and not doctors, see policy in absolute terms. Doctors and healthcare experts are all over the place on COVID. There is still much to learn and many questions are unanswered, but COVID has been extraordinarily accommodating. We know the elderly are acutely susceptible, as are people with comorbidity problems or weakened immune systems, the poor, etc. And that's another talk another day about the poor. Let's use data from Pennsylvania. Hospitals have less than 2% COVID patients and hospital admissions are down for everything, not up. Interestingly, the same study tells us cardiac patients in office care is down 40% year to year, which means COVID is a, a, either a cure for heart disease, it's not, or people who need to see a cardiac specialist are avoiding the appointment out of fear, which could lead to more serious, preventable problems. The mid-range for COVID deaths in Pennsylvania is 81. Life expectancy is 78 in general. So go figure. Now, all the young people who get COVID and succumb had pre-existing conditions. Although horrific for a family, it is statistically infinitesimally small. There is a disease of the sick and the poor and people with health problems. Do you remember the USS T.S. Roosevelt, the Teddy Roosevelt? The captain was relieved of command because, and the press, press was breathless here, because of his courage to write a letter to the command publicly. 1,102 sailors tested positive. Seven were hospitalized with serious care. Six recovered. And there was one death. One. Ironically, this matches the general demographic data for everyone, everywhere, whether they're serving in uniform or not. So what's the point? Well, hope is not a plan, but how do we manage reopening? Protecting our seniors is most important. Heck, I'm closer to that group than not. Pre-existing conditions and everything. What we can't and shouldn't countenance is complete social isolation. COVID will never be completely eradicated. We need to protect the vulnerable. For half a second, the cynic in me knows that the reason this lockdown is going on is because of a political reason. That is not a good reason. Trump has calculated and made a political calculation that opening up the economy will work. Whether it's political or actual remains to be seen. 
Now, in the U.S., there are 9,000 deaths, 9,000 deaths for people under 50 for COVID. That's sad, yes, but comparable to all the other data in that group. Now, here's the part where anecdotal evidence becomes uh, the spark of really bad policy. A New York paper reported a month or so ago on a 20-year-old who got COVID and was given the all-clear, and then he died. It was horrible, yeah. But buried in the 10th paragraph, far from the headline page, was that the man had leukemia. Now, these were pro-science people arguing the anecdotal information and not the data. For example, men are generally taller than women. But wait, someone says from the cheap seats, my wife is six feet, four inches tall. Well, that's silly. Men are generally taller than women. And people who are pre-existing conditions sick or have comorbidity issues have an infinitesimally higher proportion of those who die. More people have died of corona that are over 100 years old than, than those who are under 30. It hit New York the hardest. Remember Cuomo crying about excuse me, ventilators? He needed 40,000. Well, he wound up giving most of them away unused. And credible authorities stated then and now that ventilators used prematurely makes things worse. In the age bracket, 18 to 44, 11 of 100,000 are fatal. Over 50, it's 80 times that. Under 18, it's none. Now, why are we depriving children with essentially no risk the opportunity and ability to live, love, work, play, and enjoy the great bounty of life that us old folks, like me, have already lived. Why are we scaring everyone? As a side note, remember climate change in 12 years, the earth will be irreparable? Well, it's now nine years if you're counting, but those people, the climate experts who countenance no debate on their exalted opinion, are scaring everyone anyway. Well, why not double down? Georgia opened early, and the media called it an experiment in human sacrifice. Cases went up. Deaths did not. T.J. Rogers of the Wall Street Journal has written that the correlation of mobility and deaths per million is not necessary a causation. It is not necessarily a causation, excuse me. Staying home does nothing. Several states with minimal lockdowns all way below expected numbers. Seven of them have no lockdowns, all way below expected numbers. Seven states have maximum lockdowns, and five of them are way above expected numbers. And we know which states they are. There's lots we are not getting. Testing numbers are wildly suspect. So why are we frightening everyone? There will be no repeat of a New York fiasco because we now know better and tracing itself is ridiculous, with an apparent 10 to 14 day incubation, one person who meets only two people a day, who each meet two people a day, well, that one person can infect numerically over 16,000 people in two weeks. It's not gonna happen. We're never gonna trace everybody. Look, improve the treatments, follow simple rules, deploy resources to the elderly, 
keep the engines of prosperity running in order to keep protecting the vulnerable and keep the supply chain humming. Yes, preserve life, but if hopes and aspirations are dashed for an indefinite time, which purveyors of the lockdown of just shut it down advocate for, well, how long? Hand them the pen. Just say, how long? No large gatherings, church, concerts, no picnics, no theater, movies, parties, no sports. All these things are part of what makes life worth living. Do we labor to have a pulse and no soul? Is that the whole point of this? The Center for American Progress, who wants to hold the pen, and this is not my reading matter, trust me. Well, the brother of Rahm Emanuel stated there, yes, him, uh, and his brother's a doctor, states that people have no choice until a vaccine or cure is found, that schools should shut, income should be provided, no contact with friends or extended family. Well, that's insanity, and I think we know that. Either we live or we don't. We know the most susceptible, and we need to protect them, and all the numbers would have been better less fatalities if we protected them right out of the box instead of reacting to wildly inflated and scary estimates, which was the real reason Cuomo sent infected people to nursery homes to make room in hospitals for cases that never developed. There was no surge. But you can infect someone else, so you are mean and not a good citizen if you won't stay home. Should life really be a miserable series of deprivations? If a grandmother wants to hug her grandkids, more power to her. Does granny want to spend her last moments of physical, mental, and emotional capital, her final months, on Zoom? I don't think so. Look, I'm over 60. I don't want my children or grandchildren's lives ruined to protect me. Why don't we deploy resources where we know the virus is harmful? instead of fruitlessly shipping tests all over the place. Why the long podcast? Because it starts with living. You can't enjoy the one life you live in fear. We must face what we have with courage. If it's just about existing, not being sentient beings, but as bags of chemicals and bones, well, why not sit in a windowless room and eat tofu for 80 years. I will not judge that grandmother who wants to touch her grandkids, get glitter in her hair, sing songs, listen patiently to stories about imaginary friends, wipe runny noses, and kiss a scraped knee. We want our children and grandchildren to live their lives too. What life are we trying to protect? Our contact with others is fundamental to humanity. We should all stay human, stay in contact, be respectful, and don't give in to fear. Let's ease out of this lockdown. The sooner, the better. Peace. Out.